Okay, there is nothing more infuriating than when you go to Chick-fil-A, you've worked yourself up. Yes, I deserve Chick-fil-A today. You go, I, in th- this specific situation, I even redeemed points from my app to get a three-count strip meal from Chick-fil-A. Get it, leave the drive through line because there's like a thousand people behind me. Open the box on the way home, and it's a nugget meal instead of the strips. That's pretty frustrating super annoying but i can top you because Ugh. what's worse is when you pull out of the drive through line and you don't have any sauce like <laughs> i would rather throw my chick-fil-a that i just paid 40 dollars for because it's absolutely ridiculously priced in the trash can because i don't want to eat my chick-fil-a without sauce but that's a little uh, throwing it away it's a little drastic you're a sauce kind of person like you have that's to have the sauce it. but yeah. for one there should never be a rule that any fast food person doesn't put it, at least ketchup in the bag. Like there has to be some kind of sauce in the bag. But but who eats ketchup anymore well, when there's Chick Fil A sauce? <laughs> well, true. But why? If to me, if it's on the sticker on the outside of the bag, and it's not what's accurate in the bag, it's just I don't. Maybe I should go work at Chick Fil A or some fast food place for like a week and no, just see. Please don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, that would be awful. Uh, Well, today uh, we're going to talk about something that I think is a great concept, and it's actually uh, a lot of this, if not all of it, came from a a book that we read several years ago when uh, Caitlin and I were with a church called Generation Church that we'd helped plant out in Clayton, North Carolina, and uh, we were reading a book called Discipleship That Fits by Alex Absalom, who we've met and we're we're really good friends with, right, Caitlin? We text him all the time. No, for sure no, but I can say that as soon as we learned about Alex and his teachings and just the way he viewed discipleship and how passionate he was, um, we really just jumped on board with a lot of things that he shared with us and our team. And so we have kind of adapted some of this into our teaching as well because we believe it's um, just very beneficial. So we're going to dig into five contexts of discipleship today. Yes, uh, it's very applicable to how we can live as disciples. Uh, But what I love about it too is that it breaks down all the different uh, social contexts that we find ourselves in on a weekly basis, monthly basis, whatever. Uh, So it's very helpful. But one quote to kind of get us into this thought is a quote by John Piper, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Uh, Maybe John Piper's most famous quote, uh, it's all over the place, but uh, the fact that God is, is most pleased in us when we are really just more satisfied in our spending time with Him. And that will kind of close out this podcast today with that thought. Um, but to get going with the context, the first and the, the really the largest context that we find ourselves in is what we call the public, um, the public context. And this is hundreds of people. So think about church services, sporting events, concerts that you may get. Now people are going to concerts, which is amazing. Uh, and so it's the most common uh well, the most common public context is your social media. So I don't know about you, Caitlin, but I don't necessarily get hundreds of likes whenever I post something on social media. You, however, are the more famous person in our family. So That's not accurate, and I will say compared to students these days, when somebody oh, can post literally anything and it's like it's hundreds crazy. of likes, it's just like mind-boggling to me. But I think what this 
breakdown does the most for me is just kind of shift my perspective when I think about discipleship because I can tend to think that discipleship is just only happens in one certain environment where somebody is discipling me or maybe I feel like I'm in that kind of friendship or relationship or I've got in this small group where we're trying to disciple each other. But ultimately, I didn't think about things like, okay, this public context of discipleship when I am, I've got a platform in front of hundreds of people. So maybe that is when you walk into church on Sunday mornings or when you show up at your sorority or fraternity event one night or when you go and sit in the dining hall to eat and you've got a large amount of people around you watching you, listening to you, hearing how you're speaking, how you're talking about other people. I feel like... um it's just, it, it changes our perspective and discipleship. And so, yes, I agree. Social media is obviously, for this generation specifically, is probably the largest um, platform for the public context. So I think it just helps you reimagine, I guess, how you um, share and post and what you speak and how you comment and what you like on social media and what you don't like. Um, because other people see that and they're watching and they want you to um, kind of, they're looking to see if you're living out what you say you believe in. It's kind of like a curse these days, but we feel like we get to know people or understand people's true character just mostly by what they post on social media. Like if you're not around some people, you know, during the day or at all, you don't live in the same place, all you do is follow them on social media. It's like we get to know people based on what they post. And if that's the case, then, you know, if you're only sharing opinions and rants about things on your social media, that's what most people view you as, is the person who rants about certain things. Um, so as followers of Jesus, if our social media reflects the fact that we are following Jesus and we desire for those that look at our stuff to do the same thing, then I feel like that changes the perspective, at least, that our social media has. Yeah, exactly. And of course, discipleship is all about relationship. And so people don't really get that relationship aspect through social media most of the time when they're just looking at your posts and pictures. So you have to be really cautious when you share opinions and ideas and your thoughts and views. Even though we want to be bold people, we have to keep in mind that not everybody has the same thoughts or opinions that we do. And uh, the things that we post might not be showing love to that person. So just um, keep that in mind in the public context. Yeah. And a more accurate reflection of what my social media looks like is actually the context down from the public and it's called the social and it's ranging from 20 to 50 okay i make a social media post this is around the likes that i get but that's not important uh but the social context of discipleship uh is not something that typically happens organically it's something that you're forming your community it's really uh the basis of your community a lot of people when they say hey here's my community they're not talking about hundreds and hundreds of people they're really talking about their 20 to 50 people. Um, it's the opportunity for you to really build community and to share your story with this select group of people. So think about the people that maybe you live on the same hall as or that are in the same building in your apartment complex, or maybe they are in the same circle of classes that you're in because you share the same major um, or you uh, hang out with on the weekends or whatever that looks like. It's about 20 to 50 people. So um, just your, your natural community that you would hang out with and consider friends and your close following. And I bet if you were to sit down and list those people, you'd probably get to somewhere between 20 to 50 people that you would consider friends. And I think you can also probably include family in this as well when you have those kinds of relationships. Sure. Well, when you think about like, hey, I have this group of people that if I really needed something, flat tire on the side of the road, you have a list of people that you could probably call or text and they would help you out. Um, It's a close-knit group, but within this context, we have to ask ourselves, 
am I going to stand out within the group of 20 to 50 people, uh, you know, with how, what I believe and how I feel? Because everyone in this group of, you know, in this social context may not be a follower of Jesus. They may not necessarily always agree with you, but you formed community with them. So are you going to stand out as the one who is following Jesus and desires for them to, or do we just go along with the crowd? When I look back on my college days, high school days, I do f- my one of my regrets is that I feel like I just blended in too much. I'm a peacemaker, Enneagram nine, so I feel like I just wanted to blend in and make everyone happy. Yeah, and I think that is definitely the most important thing about this context is because it is easy to just kind of sit in the corner in that large kind of setting. You know, you can kind of sneak in and sneak out of those groups and nobody really know you're there or missing if you choose that. But you can also choose to be super intentional in those contexts of just reflecting um, the Lord and your conversation and the way that you live and the things that you do and how you want to spend your time with those people. Um, And I think that you have a really good opportunity there to make a huge impact on those lives because the smaller these numbers get, the more and more time you're going to be spending around these people. Yeah, that's a good point because I, I think that this is the context, the social, where we tend to go, oh, look, this is just my group of friends that I want to have fun with. I'm not going to feel the need to you know, push any agenda or talk about anything that I really care about. I just want to have a group of friends that I have fun with. And really, there was no sectioning. Uh, when Jesus was building community and all that kind of stuff, he didn't say, okay, these people I'm going to perform miracles around, and these I'm not. I'm just yeah. going to hang out with them. It was all one mission. Um, but the smaller, you know, breaking it down, like you mentioned, uh, the smaller context from there is the personal context. And this is where we saw Jesus a lot. It was spending time with the 12, and he chose, you know, I always think back in Scripture, and I go, why did, Why was it the 12 disciples? And from there, it was really 11, because Jesus chose Judas to be a disciple, knowing that he was going to betray him. Uh, but there was, you know, these 12 guys, and I think Jesus was modeling that this is where you have these really valuable, vulnerable conversations with these you know, this group of people. Uh, and it's a no judgment zone. It's a, Hey, look, you are my personal relationship people. I talked to you about some deeper level stuff. It's a deeper, it's now a little bit further than just community. It's friendship. Yeah. And I think as we see too, as we kind of narrow down these contexts as well, there's just a deeper level of friendship because again, you're spending more time with these people, which means you're naturally going to have more conversation and get closer together. They're going to know where you mess up. They're going to know where you fail, where you fall, where you're, um, you know, not having a good day and those sort of things. And so those types of flaws or failures are accepted and and they're seen and they're known, but they love you anyways. And um, it's just a more intimate group of community. Um, But again, it's still just, it's 12 people. So um, anywhere between five to 12 really, but this would be the personal context. Yeah. And I feel like this is where in your community building. So if you build community of the larger groups, this is where your community now begins to build you, where they can, you can ask them things. And like you said, the baggage that you carry into these friendships is accepted. <laughs> Look, we all have baggage. I get it. And I see your baggage and see your flaws. And I still want to be your friend. I still want to be there with you, help you through things. Uh, you can ask them to help you and you accept help, uh, even if someone calls you out or something like that. So this is where deeper levels of friendship are formed. Uh, and then you start to move on and growing in your relationship. And, you know, from there, I think it's 
out of the personal context of this group of you know five to twelve people, it's out of that group that you then form these transparent relationships. And the transparent context is where you have your two to four friends. Uh, you know, you build community. You're around lots of people. College campus is in my opinion, like number one place to build community. I mean, you're constantly around people. So you do that. You start to find the the people that you end up hanging around with a lot. From there, you keep narrowing it down. Some of this happens naturally and some we have to work for. Uh, And then once we get our, our personal context of the five to 12, it's out of that that we go, okay, now I see these two to four that like, these are my people. Yeah. Like those are your best friends. Think right now in your head, like who are your two to four people that you have super transparent friendships and relationships with there? There are no walls between you. And, um, these are just friends where honesty and trust are there. They've been built. This is really the foundation that, um, that kind of gets built because you've been in a social, you've been in a public, you've been in a personal context with them. And now you kind of just have that deeper level where you can say, Hey, like I'm really struggling with this, maybe in secret or haven't told anybody this before, or, Hey, this is how I grew up. And I've never really spoken out about this. These are those people that you can have those hard conversations with. And you know that they're going to, um, sharpen you that, these these people, I would say, usually do probably mimic some of the similar beliefs that you have, and you kind of are sharpening each other um, in your faith and um, pointing each other back to Jesus and spending time regularly with those people. So whether you're having meals together or you hang out on the weekends or you're opening up your Bibles together, um, I think some of that, a lot of that really is just natural overflow of having this type of relationship when it's focused on God. Yeah, I mean, this is... Peter, James, and John for Jesus. You know, he he had the 12, but when he goes to the garden to pray, he asked Peter, James, and John to go with him. Yeah. So Jesus modeled this so well of having these these relationships. And I think it's it's good to say too that it's okay to guard some of the things you say in your social context, your personal, even your personal context. It's okay to guard some of the things you say and reserve those just for this closer knit group of friends. Because I think I feel as though we hear stories of of students that they come to us and ask us things, and it's because within the personal and sometimes even social context, we're just expressing our feelings and just saying how we feel. I I can't believe people post things on social media, TikTok or whatever, themselves crying about something. (laughs) That may be the guy in me, but I'm like, I would never do that. But it's okay to reserve and guard some of the things that you really want to be I mean, your deepest vulnerable conversations, like be okay with guarding that for your closest friendships of two to four, because those are the ones that they care and love you and they want the best for you. And if you go to them and say, here's how I'm really feeling, man, they have your back and you have formed that deep relationship with them. And I want to say too, I think there's probably misconception in this context because it's also a culture today to think, oh, like they're my best friend and they're my best friend and they're my best friend when ultimately... You really aren't because you're not living this transparent kind of context. You're not opening up. You're not pointing each other towards the Lord. You're not growing with each other. You're not really having hard conversations, working through conflict. And so just guard also the word of like, hey, you're my best friend. Like if you're best friends, like you need to live it out and and grow in relationship together and what that looks like to really be honest, true, vulnerable, transparent friends. Yeah. And then just the last one that we'll close with today, and that's 
kind of the, where we started with the John Piper quote is this final context is the one-on-one relationship with you and the Father, and we call it the divine context. The most important context. The by far most important context. Did I say one of the most important? No, I, oh. maybe you said the. Okay, well, it's but the. without this one, none of the other ones are going to be uh, effective. Correct. This this fuels every other relationship that you have, and what tends to happen is we go a little backwards on this, and we, we hope and pray and want for a good friend to come along and help us, and sometimes that can happen, but what we tend to see is when our relationship with Jesus fuels everything else, then our relationships from there are a little bit more on the healthier side than they are if it was reversed, you know? Yeah. Be sure to not mistake those other transparent and personal contexts. Those relationships don't replace those relationships with this one. This one is the one that has to happen. And so this is our direct interaction with Jesus in as many possible forms. And so when we allow the Holy Spirit to invade our hearts and our focus is dedicated to him and him alone, then all of the other contexts are going to be fueled by that. Yeah, so just to challenge you this week, uh, whenever you're listening to this, just spend time focusing on your one-on-one relationship with Jesus. Talk with Him, pray, ask Him things, ask Him for help. He knows your heart. He knows where you are. Uh, if you have difficult relationships in your life right now, man, just be praying for, for God to give you guidance on that and ways to work through that. But ultimately, your the health of your relationship with Jesus is going to feed into the health of all your other relationships. And then what we would say is from there, you will begin to have great conversations and better conversations with all the other contexts that you find yourself in because you're being driven by your relationship with Jesus. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Don't forget to like or subscribe to our podcast just to let us know you're listening and leave us a comment if this encourages you in your um, walk to class or whatever that looks like for you. We're just excited you tuned in today. Bye.